you'd have your way, that you'd speak to our hearts. In this chapter, uh, you've laid it out really clearly as far as what needs to be done to spend eternal life with you. You make it crystal clear. And it's from your mouth, Jesus. And so I pray that we wouldn't miss it. And I pray that we wouldn't miss the truths attached to it, God. So we just thank you for this morning, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what page in the Pew Bible are we? 751. All right, so we're in chapter 3, page 751 in the Pew Bible. And, um, yeah, we could call it Nick at Night. Not like Nickelodeon, really, but Nick at Night. We're going to be talking about a guy named Nick. Um, But also a pretty appropriate title is a starting point, because this is like... You get through all the weeds and all the stuff and all the nonsense, like, and you just get to the point. Where is this thing starting? Um, what's important? What's critical? What's foundational? That's what we're talking about today. Arguably, one of the most impact, important passages in the New Testament. So let's take a look. Let's see what's going on, and we'll pull out some stuff. So John chapter 3 says, Now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, right? There's Nick a member of the Jewish ruling council. We'll talk about that in a minute. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth, you speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will, content and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what he has done has been done through God. So interesting kind of discourse we have going on, right? You got a one-on-one convo with Jesus and uh, John is the only gospel that has this conversation happening. 
It's the only one. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, they don't have it. It's not in there. And um, it's probably because the goal of John writing this entire book. So who's the author, right? John. He wrote the whole book. What's his goal? Why did he write it? What does he want his audience to get across? I mean, you've got to ask these questions if you're reading the book. It's really important. If you were to write something, you're hopefully trying to convey some kind of message. If you're keeping a blog or something, like you probably want to get some kind of message across. If you wrote a paper to somebody, wrote a letter, wrote an email, you want them to get the point. So the point of John's letter is the last chapter and the last verse. John 20, verse 31. Let's look at it real quick. We've seen it before. But we can just go there real fast. It's right at the end. John 20, verse 31. Page 768. It says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's the whole reason why he wrote the book. They're written so people may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he's writing the whole book to the audience to say, hey, listen, this really is the Messiah. Not just some like good prophet, a good guy who was able to do some amazing things. Really, truly is the Messiah. So that's his slant through the entire book, is he's trying to prove and make that case. So that's probably why he was the only one who took down this conversation. Because this is a really in-depth conversation. So let's take a look. So it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. It says he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That means that this guy who snuck off and came to him, he was like part of the enemy of Jesus. The religious leaders were not fond of what Jesus was doing. He was doing things in a different way. And he was doing things in ways they've never seen before. And he was doing things also in a way that didn't make them look good. And a couple of times he called them names. So he wasn't really popular with them. And the way Jesus was doing things was like very confusing to a lot of the religious leaders. And some just wrote him off as being rebellious or being part of the devil. That's actually why he's doing it. So he got that label too. And so Jesus will multiple times come in contact with people and he's got to clarify and help clear up some of the confusion. So this is what's going on here. So it says he came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know your teacher has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus, why did he come at night? Why did he come at night? I don't know. There's a couple ideas floating around. Um, maybe and probably because his own party and who he's with is like not a huge fan of him. So he does not publicly want to be seen with Jesus. So he sneaks to him at night. Uh, maybe this was the only time like Jesus was like available and somehow he found out about it, you know, and got in there. You know, who knows? But nonetheless, he had some questions about God. He had some questions about Jesus. He had some questions about what's going on. And it was of utmost importance that he go directly to the source and get some answers. I think that says something pretty noble about Nicodemus. He didn't put things and questions of God on the back burner to procrastinate for later. 
He tried to take advantage of them as soon as he possibly could. Let's try and find some answers. I want to go approach and go find Jesus right now and talk with him. I think that's a pretty good model that he sets. So he goes to him at night and he says, Rabbi, we know your teacher has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. So he's like, really letting Jesus know, hey, listen, I'm not here to say you're not who you say you are. Um, I'm not here to like, even argue about what you've done. It's pretty amazing what you've been doing. We've never seen it before. I'm on the side that, yeah, I think you actually like, are from God. I mean, you're doing things we've never seen or heard before. This is incredible. This is incredible. And so the reply is crazy. So in reply, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Like he totally didn't even continue the conversation. He's like, oh, wow, it's great. It's awesome to meet you. This is amazing. You're obviously from God. We can tell by the things that you're doing. And this is incredible. And his reply, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. <laughs> he just cut like right through all of any other type of peripheral stuff, like Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. This is not the most popular evangelism technique. Many times, which there is a place for, but many times we're taught, take your time, go slow, like build a relationship, you know, really get to know people, invest in their lives, and all those things are true. But it's also true that sometimes the route is to go direct into the point. And that's sure enough what he did. So he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That's a huge statement. Nobody can see the kingdom of God. Nobody can be in heaven. Nobody can be in relationship with God for eternity unless they are born again. And in some versions it says they must be born again. Must be. Strong statement. So born again, what does that mean? Why do we got to do it? We're going to talk more about that in a minute. How can a man be born when he is old? It's a good enough question. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. It's not really going to work out real well to try and climb back in there. So Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Born of water and the Spirit. So Jesus is saying here, well, nobody can enter the kingdom of God, right, unless they're born again. Born again, born of water. What are we talking about water? A couple of options. One, baptism. So some people take that to mean, well, they have to, like, receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, then be baptized, like, in water, and then, you know, they can be with the Lord. Probably not the best way to read that. Because we know that people who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and let's say something, God forbid, happens to them on the way to the baptism, or they tripped and fell on the way as they made it up there to get dumped. Like, are they in trouble now? No, no. It's just an outward sign of something inward that has happened. It's just publicly declaring what you've already chosen to do. The decision's already been made. Just like if I took my ring off and I threw it outside or I got lost later, I'm still married to Julie. It doesn't matter if the ring is on or not. So the baptism is like, just a sign. So it's probably not that. It's more likely the case 
that water is talking about the actual human birth. The water breaks, right? We come from water, right? So you have to be like part of the human nature, part of flesh, come from water, and also be reborn in the spirit, which God says when we actually accept him, he actually places his spirit in us. So there's like two births that happen. You're born once, whenever your birthday was, I don't know. And then, when you decide to have Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the second rebirth. And the reason that makes sense for the water is because look at what he says right here, right after that. Verse 6. The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So it makes much more sense to be thinking about it as like the water and, you know, a human being as the water breaks. So Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So in other words, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, there is kind of a mystery to this thing and people that actually are born again and of the Spirit. They're kind of scattered and everywhere and His Spirit just comes in and people respond. And then usually you can tell the effects of the Spirit that has come in by the lives that they live after that happens. Like you can't exactly see the wind, but you can see how like the leaves blow in the wind, right? And you see the effects that it happens when you do your hair up nice and the wind comes and like it's just a mess, right? You see the effects of that. You can see the effects of the Spirit in people's lives as well. So verse 9, Nicodemus is like, what are you saying? And then in verse 10... Jesus said, you don't get this? A.K.A., right? Our terms, seriously? He says, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. Who's the we? Jesus and his apostles and his disciples. And we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus keeps referring to himself as the Son of Man, right? Son of Man, Son of Man. Like, you don't call yourself Son of Man or Son of... It's a weird thing to do, right? It's not normal. So, it's significant, though. It's significant. Because what Jesus is doing is he's referring to himself as he was referred to in the Old Testament. So like he's using a name they're already familiar with. And in the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as Son of Man, I think it's like 88 times. It's a lot of times. And one verse that really helps to illustrate it is Daniel 7, which we'll see up here. Right, Daniel 7, is, oh, you can't read it that well. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. Right? Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Right? And so that's just one reference to the Son of Man and what he's like and what's been promised to him. So when he's saying the Son of Man... He's like referring to passages and promises that were given in the Old Testament. And it's also interesting that Son of Man, 
There's one person in the Bible that was called it like 90-something times, like 93 times. It was Ezekiel, one of the older, older prophets in the Old Testament. So he's saying the Son of Man has to come, has to be raised up, just like a snake was in the desert with Moses. What are we even saying now? Well, what happened was that Moses and Israelites, when they already did the exodus and they left, they were in the desert and they made some poor choices. They did some things that were not wise and God decided to punish them after like numerous, numerous warnings. A lot of them ended up getting sick and dying. And the only way that this really curse could be lifted was that they had to uh, rise up this, uh, they had to look upon this serpent, this bronze uh, thing that they had to make. And if they looked upon that, they would be healed. And so Jesus is saying, also like that, I must also be lifted up like on a cross, right? And whoever believes on me will also be healed and saved and made whole. Right? He's using a parallel, again, that they would be familiar with. So just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then we get the Sunday school verse that probably a lot of people know. We'll all say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's like the Christian verse, right? I mean, it's just everywhere. But it's packed with a lot of truth. He so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And what do we have to do to accept that and receive that? Believe, right? That's what it says. Believe. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so that word believe, in the Greek there, it really means to completely entrust yourself to and turn yourself over to. Not to just sort of mentally assent to, yep, it was Jesus, he kind of did those things, okay, I believe there was a guy who did that. Not so much. It's a stronger conviction and a stronger belief, so much so that like you really believe in it. Like everything that he said was actually true. And that is how someone has eternal life. But we'll get more into detail on that in a minute. Verse 19, he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And the light is who? Jesus, right? Come on, that's an easy one. If you're in church and you say Jesus, you're probably right most of the time anyways. <laughs> light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So Jesus goes into this whole huge explanation of who he is, how he has to get lifted up. People need to believe on him to have eternal life. That he is the light of the world that has come into the world. And he just blasts Nicodemus. Gives him everything he needs to know. And we're not left with the response from Nicodemus, right? It's not there. If you cheat and read ahead, verse 22, which we'll talk about last week, right? you won't see his name in there. He's not there. But you will find him later on in the book of John. You'll find him in John chapter 7 and in John chapter 19. 
And he actually, in John, John chapter 19, comes to Jesus after he's been crucified and helps to bury him and helps to like wrap him up and um, really is a secret disciple for a while and then ends up following. So an interesting conversation, interesting discourse. Now, a couple of things like he used a lot of references and a lot of language that has to do with them, their day, and how all that stuff works. But for us, you know, I don't know how well you know about the serpent in the desert with Moses, you know, and we're not hanging out with Nicodemus and the Pharisees. Like, this is a different world at a different time, right? But there still are some truths that I think are super important. Because the question is on the table. So how does somebody get into heaven? How does it happen? That's it. How does it happen? Because most people believe, there's an ABC poll, news poll not too long ago, most people believe that there is a heaven and a hell. And interesting, most people believe that they're going there. And very few people actually believe there's even a hell. So it's interesting. There is like this belief of some kind of afterlife, something else is happening, something else is next. And it seems to be an opinion of the majority. Some people don't believe any, this, this is it right here. It's kind of depressing. Kind of depressing. This is it. This is all you get. This is it. And then, like, you know, what do you do with, you know, some people, like, I mean, they can't even, they can't even function or, and, and get outside of themselves. Like, some people are physically un, incapable of, like, living life right now. You know, someone that is, like, severely mentally handicapped, like, that's, that's just it, right? That's, that's their life. That's just who they are. That's all they'll ever be. And that was it now? Like, no way. Like, they didn't have more destiny than that? Really? Like, I, People that just make bad decisions, you know, maybe in this life and carry a lot of stuff around with them. And sometimes right at the very end, you know, they'll, they'll see what happened, how God has pursued them, and they're like, Lord, I am sorry. Like, I am sorry. And truly mean it. Like, that they just wasted their life away? No way. Like, there's definitely more. And the, the Bible promises, and Jesus talks about many times another life. And the way the Bible refers to it is a life that's like, that's where life happens. The part that we're in now is like tiny, little. It refers to it as a vapor and a dust. So if we just took out the air, like aerosol can air freshener and sprayed it, and you know how you see it, and then it's gone? Like that's what it's like here. That's that's it. You just spray it, see those specks for a minute, and then that's it. The bulk of life is on the other side. It's the way the Bible talks about it. And in this passage, Jesus tells us, hey, listen, here's how you get there. Here's how it works. From his own mouth, not even from somebody else. So it's really important. So, let's talk about a couple of things that were in here. Now, in your bulletin, I think I have a couple of fill-in-the-blanks in there, right? Who came to Jesus? We should know that, right? Nicodemus, right? Why does John have this passage and the other Gospels do not? Hopefully you put John 20, verse 31. John 20, verse 31. Because his point in this book is to prove that he is the Messiah, the true Son of God. And we didn't get to our fill in the blank, right? Okay. 
So Jesus is the Messiah, and by believing in Him, we can have eternal life. We've already said that, right? He's already said that. Jesus is the Messiah, and by believing in Him, we can have eternal life. So here's the question, right? Why is there a need for a rebirth? What is the deal? Why do we have to be born again? And what does that even mean? How does that work? What does that look like? And what actually gets made new? So the Bible gives a couple of reasons about why there's a need for a rebirth. I got a few verses on the next slide here about a couple of reasons. I'm sorry, it's dark and you can't see it that well. Ezekiel 36, 26. Here's one reason we need to be born again. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Bible like talks about us as having like this heart of stone that's just like hard and hard to the things of God. Like it doesn't come easy. We're not moldable. We want to do our own thing. Like we're persistently stubborn with the stuff that we want to do. It's a hard heart. That's what Ezekiel says. That's a problem. So we got a hard heart. Romans 8, 7 through 8. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So we got a hard heart, and then also we don't even know how to please God. That's crazy, right? So we might even want to please God. We might know that there's something more to life. And part of Kayla's story she's going to talk about later today at her baptism talks about it a little bit. We might even know that there's more to life, that we have like something that's not like quite being fulfilled. We want to please God, but we, we're in a position where we can't. Another reason for rebirth. Heart of stone, we can't please God. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So we can't even understand God and what He wants to do and what He says and what He asks from us unless we're reborn and there's a rebirth. So we got a heart of stone. We can't even please God. And we're not even in a position where we even listen to Him and accept it. Those are three huge reasons of why there is definitely a need for a rebirth. We need to be born again. We need it. We're in trouble without it. And let's say people don't even buy into the Bible, right? Just look around in our world. Look at a society where anything goes and the biggest, baddest rules. It's sad and it's a mess. Oppression rules the day. Violence will rule the day. Right? Pleasure, selfishness, all this stuff. I mean, take a country like in Africa, like Sierra Leone. Like, what they make is diamonds. The most precious commodity, one of the most precious commodities in the world. It's currently one of the top three poorest nations in the entire planet. It's like, when you just let people just go have at it and just do whatever, it just does not, does not work out. And the Bible's right. And then you see a nation that was at one time and I know it's debatable, but was at one time submitted to and wanted to pursue 
pursue the God of the Bible, it turned out to be the nation that we live in right now. And I know there's a lot of debate on that. Well, they weren't really Christians, or were they really following after God? I know, I know, I know. There is very, very strong evidence that at the bottom line, they're at least pursuing the God of the Bible and a creator of the Bible and wanted to let him to be able to have access to a particular land. And the USA is like no other nation that's ever been around. And I don't know how long we're going to last, but that's where we're at. So we need a rebirth. We've got a heart of stone. We can't even please God. If he spoke to us, we wouldn't even recognize it or know it. So, what exactly gets made new? What gets made new? You don't have to turn there. But in Ephesians 2, it helps out tremendously. And we did Ephesians. That was our last book. The book of Ephesians really helps. It says, as for you, I'm in verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Yet another reason to be reborn and have another birth. The Bible refers to us as dead in our sins, like we were stuck. Can't get out. In which you used to live, right? He's writing to Christians. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Some of you guys might know something about that. And following his desires and thoughts. I think we all know something about that. Like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath. This is strong language, isn't it? I was talking with like a coworker at work, and he's like, we were talking about God and like Bible stuff, and well, he's like, we're all God's children, aren't we? You know, and God just, I'm like, whoa. I was like, no. Like, that's not the case. We're not all God's children. The Bible says, like, we choose to become children of his. We are his creation for sure. But those who, like, submit and surrender to him then put themselves in position to, like, be children. Other than that, look at this. Objects of wrath. That's, like, heavy duty. Really have sobering. says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Right? He has made us alive. He makes our spirits alive. He puts his own spirit inside of us, causes us to be alive. So why is there a need for a rebirth? Well, hope you wrote down those three verses. But just to summarize really quickly, we got a heart of stone. We can't please him even if, if we wanted to. And we would fight against everything he would ask us to do. Because it would be, what? Encroaching, and it would be like trying to control our lives. Which, in fact, that's exactly what it is. He definitely wants full control and full access. That's the lifestyle of a Christian. He doesn't say, just like, give me some of it. He's like, I want all of it. Give me all of it. And he says, I'm going to give you all of me. And the trade-off is way more, way more in our favor than his. So now, right? So now. I know it's a lot of background. So we're going to close up with these two points right here. People fall into either one of two camps here. 
Either people have already believed and accepted Jesus Christ, and they're like, yes, I believed. I have believed. I believe in what he said he did. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe. Or they fall in another camp. I have not believed. Or maybe I'm still trying to work it out and figure things out. Which that's kind of where Nicodemus was, really, right? Kind of a secret guy with secret questions and working his faith out very slowly. So, to those who have already believed, right? Here's where I I think the part really is for us that we can grab a hold of. Right, so for those who have believed, and I'll talk about the other camp in a minute. For those who've already believed and surrendered, like, you could be sitting here this morning being like, well, I've already done this, so awesome. What's next? What are we doing now? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. To those who already believe, here's one thought. New light. Jesus is the light of the world, right? New light that has come into our lives that we've surrendered to has nothing to do with old darkness. New light has nothing to do with old darkness. New light has nothing to do with old darkness. A new life, a new mind, a new creation has nothing nothing to do with old stuff. It doesn't even want to be around that stuff. It doesn't even have a place. So things like... Things like jealousy. Things like... Lame excuses, things like deceit, things like zero self-control, things like always feeling defeated, not being enough, right? Now we're like, these are all things that we are a new creation. We've been promised much more than that. That's not our inheritance or our future at all in any way, shape, or form. So, there, so we, hopefully we're not spending a ton of time sitting around in the darkness with those things. Hopefully we're not putting ourselves in position where we're thinking about woe is me or that wasn't right how they did that to me or I'm really offended by such and such and man, all that stuff would just jack us up. Like new light has nothing to do with old darkness. Hopefully we get offended like it takes a lot to offend us. Because we're just overflowing with the love of Christ for people. Hopefully it takes a lot. Hopefully God just cut me off in the highway like it just doesn't put me over the edge right away. If so, I got problems. I got, there's things that got to be worked out. My God, that's, that was my initial fleshly response. That is not, that's just not of you. If Jesus was driving the car right now, he wouldn't be doing that. It wouldn't happen. Right? Just a small example. Like, new light. We are like brand new creations. Has nothing to do with old stuff. Got to just clear that stuff out of there. Has no place. And that's why this fill in the blank is right, is right there underneath. He didn't just, he did not die to only save us from it. He did not die to only save us from it, but to also walk with us through it. 
He didn't die just to save us from it, but to walk with us through it. So like Christianity is not, we have received Jesus Christ, He saved us eternally from darkness, and now we're good. Right? What He did was He saved us, yes, from that darkness, but He also is saving us from all of the darkness that is trying to come into our lives right now and reign the day right now. Like He didn't just seal us up for eternity, He's choosing to live in the moment with us right now. And walk with us right now. Help us to see a new creation right now. That's awesome. And in fact, he set up a situation where when he put his spirit inside of us, it actually empowers us to live in the light right now. That's awesome. Now the thing is, he won't force the light and his truth and his will upon us. He'll just illuminate it for us so we can see it, and then we got a choice to make. That's the thing, right? If we allow that light to come in, he will illuminate it, but it's up to us to make a choice. So I've been making these references to darkness. What am I talking about like when we say darkness? And I was trying to like come up with this like a working definition that we can use for darkness. Steve, you got one? true, right? It's true. You hanging on the old light bulbs? I don't. Do you collect them? I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody does, right? Like, you throw them out. Like, we have no use for them. We just chuck them. We get rid of them. Similar to our old life and old way of thinking. We just throw away that stuff. Now, that's easier said than done, obviously. But at least we're trying to position ourselves so we can get rid of that stuff and throw that stuff out. And that's, like, first on our priority list. So what is darkness? Here's what I came up with. A place where sin cannot be seen for what it really is. That's what darkness is. It's a place where sin cannot be seen for what it really is. So we're in the dark. Like it just can't notice it. Can't even see it. Try walking around at night and the light is off and like you can't see things where they are and for what it really is. So you're walking around the house and you kick something or you stub your toe. Or you step in dog poo, like we do at our house, you know? Like, I can't see it there, you know what I mean? Like, I'm stumbling around in the dark. It's not working out well. I was thinking about, too, I was at the doctor's office not too long ago, and it's getting some checkups, you know, for, like, you know, blood work and all that stuff. And I was amazed to see, you know, so, like, they take the blood, and, you know, they do all that stuff. I can't even watch when they do it, you know? It's just... But uh, so they take it out and then they run it, you know, through all these tests. And all these tests, it's amazing how much stuff is going in, like within the blood. Like all you see is like red, you know, stuff. But like within it, like there's shapes of it, there's different sizes of it, 
They're like moving and doing different things. It's like it's incredible. We don't actually even see what's really going on. We just see red liquid. It's incredible. It's amazing. And it's really similar to how we are when we live in the darkness and we're away from Christ and when he's not really a a factor, we're not submitted to him. It's just life is just happening. We see things how they are. But there's a whole other life going on. The real important things are happening and we're not even seeing it or aware of it. It's amazing. A lot of times when people are making that transition from light to dark, phrases that they use, I never knew that there was something sinful or wrong about that before. Like, right, they say stuff like that. I never knew that there was something like wrong or not good about that. Or, or uh, I used to do that before without even thinking about it, but now I can't even do it. Right, they say stuff, you know, like that. And Kayla has actually got some stuff in her testimony later today too where she was like just contrasting what she was thinking you know, before and like after and like what God is doing. And none of that stuff would ever happen unless she gave her life over to the light and over to the truth. And I'm like, okay, how's that happening? How are you thinking that? Like, why is that different? I don't know. And that's like what happens to the Christian. It's like, how are you thinking? that? How is this stuff coming across differently? Like, how is that just coming into your mind? It's really hard to describe. I don't, I don't know. God is just doing something. I'm thinking differently. I'm looking at things differently. It's amazing how he does it. So for those that have already accepted and believed, hopefully, we can, since we've already made the choice to make him the light of our lives for eternity, hopefully we can also make him the light of our lives each and every day right here and now. Remember we did the illustration with the candle and the pot and it was up here? There's no battle between light and dark. Light wins every time, hands down. Always bet on it. You always make your money, right? Always, every time. So since there's no battle, the battle becomes as if the pot comes on or not. And that's where it comes out for us. Will I let something come in and damper that light? Will I make it difficult for that light to shine? So it's really up to us. That's where it comes down for us. So that's for those who believe. What about for those that haven't believed, that have not believed, or are still working it out? I hope those that are in the still working it out pool, that they're still sincerely and privately going to Jesus and asking him with the questions. God, I got questions on this. I don't know about this. I don't know how you could do this. How could the Bible say this? It seems like you're a God like this. So for the camp that hasn't responded, that's the way to really approach it, is follow the model of Nicodemus and continue to ask those really important questions and not put them off. That's what's really important. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion take communion together and communion is just agreeing what we're saying when we take it together is we're saying I agree with Jesus has done I've submitted my life I am born again I might not feel it all the time and it might be difficult to live out 
But the Bible says I have been reborn with a new birth and I want to follow after that. That's what communion says. That's why it's so silly for people to take communion if they're just doing because other people are doing it. So like even when I'm at school and like we go to masses, you know, as like a large school and part of every mass when we go there, there's, you know, six or seven hundred people, you know, there and we're all doing the mass thing together. And um, so many times, you know, the students are like, you know, Mr. Murphy, I don't know why I'm taking communion, but I just do it because everybody else is doing it. You know what I mean? And it's just, and what happens, that becomes just ingrained over time and it's really easy to do that. Right? But what communion really says is, I'm submitted I'm surrendered, Lord. Thank you for giving me a new birth. I want to live in that new life, and I don't want to do things that bring back the old nature. Right? And that's what we're going to take part in together. So the elements will be up here. And um, we'll play maybe that last song. And if you come up here and take it, please hold on to it. So that way we can take it together as a church fam. And there's some up here that have pieces of cracker in there. Uh, you can take those if you want, but don't worry about it. It's okay. 